0: is risen indeed good morning to Grace Community Church and to all of you who have joined us this morning to praise the Lord and give thanks that he lives and he is risen sometimes our feelings on such a glorious occasion as the resurrection of Jesus Christ our feelings don't don't match the elevation of the occasion And how momentous is the news that he is risen. But this day, if you want to elevate your feelings and move into worship, do give thanks for what Christ has done in your life. Look back and take inventory. Count the many ways in which Jesus Christ has revealed himself to you and moved in your life. Alive, not dead, not a relic of history, but historic and continuing to change your life. It's a joy to be outside this morning and to have the beautiful background that we do. I've been contemplating this this week, and it's always interesting to me. It's telling to me how the Lord does things and leads up to this moment when I get to bring to you what God has laid on my heart. On Wednesday, I read the news that John Prine died Tuesday of the coronavirus. John Prine to the Grammys and the Country Western Halls of Fame was regarded as one of our generation's great lyricists and songwriters. The news brought to my mind the fact that my sister-in-law had gifted me with an album of his some years ago, and it reminded me of a song that he wrote. This is the title of that song. He was in heaven before he died. That's our citizenship. What John Prine meant is very different than what we hear. He was in heaven before he died. That is so indicative of our experience in Jesus Christ. Paul, in this letter to the Philippians, in chapter 1, verse 27, says, Our citizenship is in heaven. We are to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter three, verse 20 and 21, he writes, our citizenship is in heaven. We await our savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will conform our lowly bodies to the likeness of his glorious body by means of that power by which he's able to subject all things to himself. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything about today. Because he lives, we have a heaven-bound status in Christ. And Paul emphasizes that in verse 1 of chapter 2. When the Philippians asked Paul, when he was getting out of jail, he said, to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. In verse 21, he says, in effect, you know, I breathe the air of heaven every day. To die is gain. On April 9th, 75 years ago, just this last Saturday, uh, Thursday, the Nazis executed Dietrich Bonhoeffer by hanging him. As Dietrich was being led away, he turned to Payne Best, a fellow, a fellow uh, prisoner with him, and said these words, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. We're always, in a way, Entering into greater and greater life. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talked about how in this life we're diminishing, but our spirit is enlarging. We're growing daily by faith into the reality of our heavenly citizenship and the new life that is ours in Christ, the resurrection life. Whatever is our end here, it's, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, it's the beginning of life for us. Paul was more concerned about the Philippians than he was himself. Don't worry about me, he said. What matters to me is you. I want to hear that you stand united in one spirit. He said I want to hear that you have the same mind, the same love, the same spirit, the same mindset. That mindset is empowered by the resurrection. It's empowered by that one spirit in which we stand, that one mind that dominates us together. It's empowered by the experience, Paul says, in verse 1 of chapter 2, which is an experience of the risen Christ, an experience of his presence in his Holy Spirit. He describes it as Christ's encouragement. The comfort of his love. The special affinity that we experience and share together in his spirit. His tender mercy and his compassion. These are the realities that Jesus is alive. Wherever we are, in prison like Paul, or in a pandemic as we ourselves are, this is our experience it is the breath that fills our lungs it is the breath of god it is his spirit which is our gift from god our certification of our citizenship that we live and although we have not yet died we taste heaven Before we've died, by faith, we have the mind of His Spirit, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. We think His thoughts, we're filled with His thoughts. His thoughts shape our attitude, our feelings, our outlook, the reality of our lives. By faith, we are under the influence of His Spirit. Paul writes in in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, When we walk in his footsteps, we actually glow, as it were. We know in ourselves and we experience the fruit of the Spirit. When it's his mind that dominates our thoughts, when it's his footsteps that direct our footsteps, And when we are filled with the fruit of the Spirit, we glow with his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness, his gentleness and self-control. From Galatians, Paul writes in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Jesus is alive, and that changes everything about today. And because he lives, we have a heaven-bound rank in Jesus Christ. Paul points that out in verses 3 and 4 as he talks about our own experience as citizens. We're in heaven before we die, and so we have no need to fight over our rank in life. Or with one another. We take on the rank of Jesus, our first citizen, our firstborn of the new creation, our firstfruits of new life, our founder, our champion, our savior. We identify with Jesus Christ. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. And yet, consider, when he was born, he was born in the shadow of Caesar Augustus, first emperor of Rome, a towering figure of selfish ambition and empty glory. Jesus was born in an out-of-the-way village Caesar Augustus didn't know of it. If he heard the name of it, he would say, where is that? And yet it was from there, and it was there, that Jesus was born into this world. His humble birth, we see in verses 6, 7, and 8 of chapter 2. Though he existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a slave, the status of a slave. He looked like other men. He shared in our human nature. He humbled himself. The very word that Paul says We should emulate. We should humble ourselves, elevating others above ourselves. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross, which was the lowliest, most degrading, most truly humiliating death that could be imposed on another person, and that is why that death was reserved for the lowest class of people, for slaves. A citizen of the Roman Empire would never be submitted or subjected to crucifixion. It was too low, it was beneath them. They would have their heads lopped off, something quick, Something relatively and comparatively easy. Something that would be welcomed by comparison. Rather than the hours of humiliation and agony. Leading up to final death. And all by way of hanging on a cross. Jesus didn't want to face it. He said, let this cup pass from me, Father. If there's a way. And yet, not my will, he said, but your will be done. And that's caught in the expression of the words, obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He let go of his equality in verse 6. He emptied himself of his rank and privileges in verse 7. And he lowered himself in obedience in verse 8. And we are to emulate Jesus to have his mind, says Paul. That's, you see, he says, how outsiders, how people who do not know the resurrection life, who do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do not believe that he lives, And that changes everything about today. To those, we demonstrate the power of the resurrection by our willingness to emulate Jesus Christ, to not put such a high price on rank, but rather to willingly and voluntarily follow our Lord who went so low to reach us in his love. And that is really. The humility of God at work. It isn't humiliation. It's liberating humility that he assumed to demonstrate his love. We sing along a song, How Low. Actually, we don't sing it that way. But I want you to hear that word when I give you the name of this song. How deep is the love, the Father's love? You might add, answer, how low is he willing to go to love us? We can't outlow his love. To love, we go low, not high. That's selfish ambition and empty glory. To love, we have to let go of our hold on equality, our hold on our rank. To love, we have to empty ourselves. We have to lower ourselves. We have to lower ourselves to love as Jesus loved us. We've got to climb to the bottom to join the highest one, our Lord and Savior. And that's the third thing I want us to see here because he lives. We are heaven bound in the highest one. We're bound in Him. We're joined in Him and united in Him. And we see that ever so clearly in His love for us in verses 6 through 11, 11 that Paul holds up for our emulation. To be one in Christ, we must have the mind of Christ to rank others above ourselves. And to do that, we have to go as low as our highest one did. If we start right where we're at, right where you're sitting, in our homes, with our family, with our neighbors. And although we may be at a social distance, we can already reckon the disposition and attitude that we want to have when that good day comes and we're able to, Return to work, return to school, return to the fellowship that we enjoy with our family and friends. But let's not return the same. Let's return as resurrected in Christ, liberated from rank, having his status as the highest one and able to divest ourselves of that in the everyday affairs of our lives to elevate others in Christ's love and emulate him and demonstrate his resurrection power, his divine power, which we see so much in his lowliness. Can we imagine our highest one going lower than we're willing to go? I was thinking this week, what would that look like? If Jesus was beside me and what I refused to do, he willingly assumed and I had to watch him do what I didn't want to do myself. And then I remembered Peter on the night when Jesus was betrayed, they had a dinner. Before dinner, all of them were reclined, their heads toward the table, their feet stretching out. Jesus wrapped a towel about him. He gathered up his tunic, and he began to go to the feet, the dirty feet of each disciple and wash their feet. And when he got to Peter, Peter kind of like a snail withdrew his legs in, I imagine, and he said, you will never, ever wash my feet. And then Jesus said something very powerful that we need to hear. Jesus said in verse 9, Peter, if I do not wash your feet, you will have no part with me. Well, when Peter heard that, he said, Lord, wash me head to toe. Because he realized that what Jesus was saying was that Peter, if you do not let me wash your feet, you cannot follow me where I'm going. You cannot have a share in who I am and what I am. You will not have an inheritance or a heritage. When he called his disciples to his side after supper, excuse me, After he'd finished washing their feet in verses 12 and 13 of John 13, he said, do you you get what I've just done? And then he said, you call me teacher and Lord. If then I, your teacher and your Lord, wash your feet, he says, you, as we translate it, you ought to wash the feet of one another. You ought to wash the feet of others. You know what ought is? The word ought is just the future tense of must. That is hard news for us. To have a share in who Jesus really is. To get the fact that he was willing to humble himself out of love for us. That means to identify with him, even as Paul heard, even as Paul understood, We have to identify with Jesus Christ by lowing ourselves. It's going to be hard work, but it'll be powered by the resurrection. It'll be powered by our faith. It'll be powered by God's love when we do it. And it will tell those around us, and we will realize it internally and existentially in a very real way that he lives, and that changes everything about today. That mindset has been changing my, my life all these years, and I've got a ways to go. I stumble, but I get back up. I apologize. <laughs> I have to go to people and say, I did not do that the way I wanted because I did not do it the way Jesus wanted it. Not my will, but his will be done. That should all be our mindset. You know what this tells me and what it tells us, these verses, verse 6 through 11, especially 9, 10, and 11, when he is exalted above every name to the glory of the Father, to the glory of the Father, that tells us that Jesus was the true expression of God's heart. That humility, going low, elevating others, is from the very heart of God. That God approved of that humility. And in fact, the incarnation and the crucifixion was truly a revelation of God's approval of Jesus Christ and his will. To love us and work through Jesus Christ. As citizens, we need to emulate Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, I saved a tweet from Stephen Miller. This is what he wrote Last night, my son Jude came up to me. Dad, I'm tired of doing the same things. I need to be resurrected. I've wanted to become a Christian for a long time, but I was scared. I don't want to wait any longer. Stephen went on to say that he and his son came to that point of decision that very evening. And his son prayed with him. And in Stephen's words, he surrendered Yeah, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. There's no emulating Jesus Christ without surrender. Absolutely none. It's not a one and done. It's not something I did all those years ago. And if we're not feeling the resurrection today, and his power seems like a relic of history, it may be because we were one and done those years ago and we haven't been experiencing his power because we haven't been walking in faith we haven't been stretching ourselves in faith because we don't believe in the resurrection we don't believe that he actually lives we don't believe that his living spirit is the power in our lives let's let's get resurrected Some of us need a resurrection. You can know that resurrection today. It starts with surrender, but we never leave it. Every day we start with surrender until he comes. You know, it's often said we're Easter people. That's true. Without the resurrection, no church, no gospel. No, Jesus Christ living and reigning. But the resurrection validates the crucifixion. It does not cancel it. It does not mean it was not vital. It is not one eclipsed by the other, it is one and two together. And the reality of that is we know the power of the resurrection, but we live the life. Of crucifixion, of the cross, or a cruciform life in Christ. That's the error we never avoid. This morning, church buildings are empty, just like the tomb of Jesus Christ. But we are not empty, we are full, we are alive, we are colonies of Jesus' love and life and power and reign. And humility. And until the book is closed and our Christ returns with irresistible power and displays his power before the eyes of his creation, until then, we live in the humility of the cross and the power of the new life that is ours because he is risen. God bless you today, this week. Stand in one spirit. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the power of the resurrection that is ours in the presence of your Spirit indwelling us, drawing us, leading us, living your life through us by faith. And Father, we praise you for your great love, for your care, and for your blessing. May we bless you each and every day that we get up and live for you. And it is in Jesus' name we praise you and thank you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, you know what's coming. Big hug. Fist bump, elbow bump, we love you.